Would you rather be Clemson? Or would you rather be Iowa State? How about North Carolina? Or Indiana? Or the Miami Hurricanes? Would you rather be any of those programs who went into this season with much higher expectations than Michigan? Preseason rankings, some cases in the top 10, some cases expected to make the playoff, almost a foregone conclusion. Would you rather be USC, the team that's already fired their coach? I would say if there were two coaches this offseason who, uh, uh, when they retained their jobs, that uh, the national media um, lost their minds about, they were Clay Helton and uh, Jim Harbaugh. Would you rather be USC? Let's bring it home. Would you rather be Minnesota? You know, some schools... You only blew out a MAC team. Well, some schools wish they blew out a MAC team. Some schools wish they just beat uh, a MAC team, a bad MAC team. Remember when PJ Fleck would have been a good candidate for uh, Michigan? Do you remember when Tom Allen? I can't believe I heard this last year. Do you remember when Tom Allen would have been a good candidate for Michigan? Fire Jim Harbaugh in order to hire Tom Allen in order to hire P.J. Fleck. I remember. Would you rather be Nebraska, who just, you know, another Big Ten program with uh, a a quarterback, uh, former quarterback uh, coaching the team, who is uh, two and three, continues to find a way to lose, and whose resume is not even close to what uh, Mr. Jim Harbaugh's, Mr. Die Tryon, resume is. Would you rather be Nebraska? Okay, folks. This is another episode of Die Tryin'. I am your host, Daniel Mogollon. Joining me later today will be Alex Kirshner, a contributing writer from For the Slate. He's also a host Split Zone Duo podcast. He's going to come on to talk about an article he wrote uh, prior to the Rutgers game, The Case for Believing in Michigan Football. Um, so we're going to talk about the Wolverines and, and his article on Michigan, which appeared on 538.com. But first, let, let's dive into last week's game. And, you know, I think you have an, an idea of where I'm going with uh, the theme regarding last week's game. And, you know, would you rather be, there's a lot of would you rather be that you're answering no to. You, you're, you should be happy to be 4-0. Yes. The second half was atrocious. There is no denying that. But I'm going to try to look at this uh, glass half full as this team played phenomenal, better than anyone expected for three and a half games. Um, I'm not going to let one half spoil that, uh, one half of football to spoil that, you know, 12% of the season to spoil what was a fabulous 88% of the season leading up to that. Um, They were outgained by Rutgers. I'm stunned. I I was stunned watching it. I couldn't believe it. Um, They were outrushed by Rutgers. The yards per carry was nearly two yards better per carry. Rutgers did a great job holding down both Corum and Hassan Haskins. Uh, 
Blake Corum averaged 3.2 yards per carry. Haskins only 3.4. There were no negative uh, uh, runs by the Michigan running backs, which was a little bit of a concern because of Rutgers' ability to penetrate. But that may be more of a a, a byproduct of their running backs actually playing better than those numbers indicated because these guys have excelled this season picking up yards uh, after contact two of the best in the country, and the difference was before this game, the offensive line was pushing, getting such a great push up front, and basically reestablishing the line of scrimmage to the extent that they didn't get, con- they didn't get two contact for three, three to four yards down the field. Um, that was not the case against Rutgers. I was pretty surprised uh, at the fact that they were not able to do a better job of dominating the line of scrimmage and owning the line of scrimmage, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. As for quarterback Cade McNamara, his overall numbers, 9 of 16 passing, 163 yards, uh, which worked out to 10.2 yards per attempt, 18.1 yards per completion. Those are numbers you'll take any day. However, it was really a tale of two halves for the Michigan quarterback who started out 8 for 10, and he ended up going just 1 for 5 passing in the second half. Um, It really started in the final play from scrimmage in the first half where on a second and goal, he missed a wide-open schoonmaker uh, tight end. He also had Eric All. That's who he was throwing to. He also he was in the end zone all alone. He also had Eric All fairly open at the goal line. Um, so he had two options there for a touchdown. Eight for ten at that point. He just flubbed the throw, uh, missed it. Michigan had to settle for a field goal to go up twenty to three. It could have been twenty four to three heading into the locker room. And, you know, things really turned from there. It was uh, uh, the second half was owned and dominated by Rutgers. They had 231 yards of offense compared to just 42 by the Michigan Wolverines, who only had two first downs in the entire second half. Um, It's really difficult to explain what happened there. We're going to give the defense some credit. Green Hill, uh, Hill Green, excuse me, the freshman uh, linebacker, had eight tackles, including a tackle for loss. Josh Ross, who missed some time, he had a great game while he was on the field with six tackles and two TFLs. Uh, when he came out of the game, you could see he was begging to get back in. Uh, I think it definitely made a difference. We can overstate leadership sometimes, you know, the veteran leader. But there's no doubting that he is the leader in terms of experience of the defense, particularly of what is a very young linebacking core. And in that first half when he was in the game, you saw multiple times where he ran up and kind of smacked the guy's butt on the defensive line, basically saying, shift over, you're in the wrong gap. So that that's leadership right there that you could see on the field. That's not... Uh, hyperbole when you talk about leadership that is actual you know visual leadership of of making sure the team is aligned properly um, Mullings came in 
He had six tackles, so he flashed some ability. Uh, Dax Hill had a productive game, tackle for loss, pass breakup, two quarterback hurries, although I will point out he had a very easy sack uh, that he absolutely blew. Uh, it was a nice scheme in terms of him being able to blitz coming in untouched. Uh, instead, the quarterback ended up uh, you know, picking up positive yardage there, and, and it should have been a sack for a decent loss. That, that's the type of missed opportunity that could have forced a punt a lot quicker in the game. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson had the game's only sack. They had a lot of trouble uh, defending the read option. Pacheco, the uh, Isaiah Pacheco, the Rutgers running back, went for over 100 yards in the game, which I was not expecting. Uh, Vidrell, the quarterback, added 46 on the ground. Um, for the game, Pacheco averaged 5.4 yards kick per carry compared to his four on the season, which includes the, uh, the um, 5.4. I should have, I should have looked it up uh, what he did going into that game, but it just goes to show you how much better he was on Saturday than through three games. Uh, Noah Vidrell averaged 4.2 yards a carry, 3.5 on the season. Again, another guy who was much more productive against the Michigan defense. Both of them particularly saw their production jump up a lot in the second half. And why am I still optimistic as disappointing as the second half was? Well, uh, this is why. Because I really do feel like it, it, it looked like they kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit. And I know this is, you know, you can say this is a bit of a cop-out. This is not giving Rutgers their due. I'll give Rutgers their due because... That team, boy, they played hard for 60 minutes. They didn't care that the, that the score was 20-3 to at the halftime. They came out in the second half as if it was 0-0. And that's a credit to Greg Schiano and his coaching ability. And that's a credit to the team. Now, um, you know, there was a concern. Could this, game be a, could, could this game have been a letdown game going in? 3-0 uh, team beating everybody, cruising to victory. I believe their average margin of not victory, but covering the point spread was it was 19. So they were just blowing everybody by, um, exceeding expectations. You know you had Wisconsin um, looking ahead. So was this a trap game? Was this a letdown game? Was this a look-ahead game? And the idea is that, well, it was 20 to 3, so that's not the case. Um, I talked about this on my other podcast, um, The Big Show, about how sometimes that does happen, where you're so you're you're guarded against that letdown and you make it to halftime and things look good and you kind of feel like, well, we accomplished um, not letting down. We did not overlook this opponent, and it feels a little bit like mission accomplished. And it is possible to have an in-game letdown, not just going into the game where you have that great week of practice and, you know, you're, you kind of, as I said, take the foot off the gas a little bit and the other opponent is all gas, no brakes. And then all of a sudden the momentum is shifted and you can't just turn it back on, especially against a team like Rutgers who, for their lack of talent, the strength of Rutgers is being a disciplined team, being a team that plays hard football, hard-nosed football, 
that when you're kneeling down will line up against you and fight off, you know, jump off the snap as if it was a fourth and inches play with the game on the line who, you know, is coached up and does knows what they do well and does it and does it as hard as possible. So this was an opponent that if that was the case, and we're going to learn more about it as the season goes on, if that was the case, but that could take advantage of that and that could make up for some of the uh, shortcomings and talent gap that Rutgers had going in. All right, now it's time. Uh, we're going to bring on our guest to dive a little bit more into Michigan football and take a you know, look at this game as well as look at the season and where it might go moving forward. And joining us now is Alex Kirshner. He's a contributing writer at Slate. You can find him on Twitter, Twitter at Alex underscore K-I-R. S-H-N-E-R, and he's also a podcast host. His podcast is Split Zone Duo. Um, Alex, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. I didn't know about your podcast until last week, but I listened to a couple episodes. I'm in. It's part of my uh, Sunday slate. You know, there's only a couple that are on on Sunday, so I'm excited to add another one to my rotation, and I just want to thank you for coming on today. Hey, thank you. Really appreciate you listening. And yeah, we'd love to have you. It's a college football podcast. We try to cover the sport in a unique way, the way others don't. And also do some do some writing uh, about teams such as the Michigan Wolverines. Let's start there. 538, you had an article, The Case for Believing in Michigan Football. And that's what brought me uh, to bring you on as a guest. And, uh, and I really enjoyed your your tweet before the game started. And that was my biggest college football rooting interest today is for Michigan to win because I blogged about how good they are. And I don't want to become Michigan Twitter's main character today. Alex, I feel like I can now welcome you officially to the Michigan fandom. Well, thanks. Just, just happy to be nominated, to be honest with you. (laughs) So tell us, Alex, what's, you know, obviously you wrote a whole column on this and I, want people to go out there to check this out. It's a very interesting column. It had me nodding my head saying yes a lot. Um, maybe that's my Michigan Homer that you brought out in me. But what's the what's the crux of the case? What's the case for believing in Michigan? What's the crux of it? I think the crux of it is that if you look at what Michigan did in its non-conference schedule, you know, largely against teams that we don't think are that good, they blew them away in a way that they do not usually, not just in terms of their points, but in terms of advanced stats, like expected points added, it really looks like Michigan has been playing. And and with this, I wrote this before Rutgers, so that might change things somewhat, but like Michigan has been better than your typical September Michigan by a pretty wide margin. And obviously Michigan fans know that September has not been the main problem here. So I, I understand that very much, but I do think that Michigan has shown some signs that it is a better team than it has been probably any given year since 2016. You can decide how problematic the, the Rutgers thing is for you. Of course, your mileage may vary on that. Uh, In the article, you talked about Harbaugh's offenses. So you talked about how the offenses haven't been, have been good, but haven't been great thus far can this offense be great? And if not necessarily great, can they be great-ish, at least the best offense of the Harbaugh era? I think so. I think there's a chance. I think that the running game looks like it's really shaped up. 
I mean, this is still a top 15 team by EPA per game, which is an advanced stat that sort of goes through how every play affects your offense's likely output on that drive. You know, it, it kind of parses, you know, that a, a 10 yard completion on third and seven is a lot more valuable than a 10 yard completion on third and 27. Um, and sort of looks at the, the context and the down and distance that an offense faces Michigan's graded out really well there. I think that Cade McNamara has appeared to be a better quarterback than Jim Harbaugh has had at Michigan appeared to be and you know, uh, how much you can judge off of four games is very much up in the air. So I, I never purport to make any conclusions here, but you know, if you look at Michigan in a more charitable light than uh, they're going to blow it because they're Michigan, which I can't blame anyone for thinking. There are some things to like here, I think, is is the main point. You know, this is if you if you were able to forget about Michigan doing Michigan things at the end of the year, you would look at the fundamentals of this team so far and you'd think this is a pretty good looking team. This team could contend in the Big Ten. How do you feel about the Michigan team after that second half? As you talked about, they were very, a very crisp three and oh. Um, they were a nearly nearly perfect for three and a half games in terms of their production, but that second half was certainly a stinker. I mean, it was part of you thinking good thing good thing they published that article last week because if I had to wait a week, I'm not sure if everybody would be on board with this. Yeah, there's there's a chance that I think I if I in full disclosure if I'd seen them struggle that much against Rutgers, I might have held off a little bit. I think that that's reasonable and this is the thing though in, in college football when you write about college football when you talk about college football this is a small sample size sport by definition um yep. you know michigan's 25 percent of the way through the season after three games now they're a third of the way through the season you're you're getting pretty deep into this thing even when you've only played three or four games and you know i certainly wouldn't stake my life on thinking that michigan's going to be good but at some point your body of work's your body of work obviously you have to see how they do against the big 10 but I don't think in general that there's anything wrong with, you know, looking at things after three, four games in college football and trying to make your best stab at where things are heading. I think that's part of the fun of the sport is seeing where those come up at the end of the year. Oh yeah. I think that's definitely part of the love, the love of the sport, the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows are just so extreme from week to week in college football, like no other sport. I don't think any other, uh, any other sport can compare in regards to that. Alex, let me ask you about, the quarterback you brought him up and and you know he was a four-star kid coming out of Nevada we've seen some promising things but the sample size for him is even almost ridiculously small right because the Michigan I think only the triple option teams uh, have starting quarterbacks who have thrown fewer passes than him I I didn't check it this week but going Uh into last week they were like Five court, five quarterbacks in the Big Ten through three games who had more passes in one game than McNamara had through the three games. Um, he started out eight for ten, so he kind of looked like in that first half that he could be the quarterback that could complement this running game. And while there were no chance for we want JJ from the student section on Saturday, should there be some doubts? Do you think that's something that people should start thinking about is going to the five star quarterback? Hard to say. I think that Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis probably understand their freshman quarterbacks' abilities a little bit better than than we do because of just how little we see into how teams practice, how quarterbacks are in the film room, etc. 
it tends to go that way. I mean, obviously, I think on you know twelve throws, he's been a good deal more efficient than than Cade. If you just look at uh, the extremely small sample uh, against against a handful of G five teams, maybe. But I, while I hate to not have a more detailed answer, it's just it, it is really hard to say how how a freshman would do in that situation. Part of what I really enjoyed about your article was uh, you asked the question, why get too serious with a team that has hurt you? But if Michigan fans can stomach it, they should let themselves live a little bit. And that's kind of been my theme from from week one. You know, I, I was bullish uh, both with my uh, mouth and my purse on this Michigan team heading into the season. I thought they were vastly underrated and people put a little too much stock into what happened last year. It seemed like, you know, some teams got a pass, other teams didn't get a pass. And I, I kind of understand the reasons behind them. But just looking at the history, I kind of felt like they were an undervalued team. For the Michigan fans that were ready to, that had one foot on the ship and now are ready to bail after that second half, what's your message to them in terms of staying positive? It's a long season. Ohio State's weaker than usual. The Big Ten looks a little bit more open than usual, not to say that it's completely open. And there's no guarantee that it's going to stay bad forever. And, you know, you might, uh, if you're willing to let yourself believe a little bit, you might have fun this year, even if things don't go the way you want in the end. There you go. That's from an impartial college football analyst, writer, podcaster. Alex, uh, thanks a lot. Really appreciate you giving us some time. I really hope our listeners out there check out that article. You can find it on 538.com. I know Alex has tweeted it out a couple of times, and I'll throw his Twitter out again. It's Alex underscore K-I-R-S-H-N-E-R. He's a contributing writer also at Slate, and definitely do check out his podcast, Split Zone Duo. Alex, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks so much. Go Blue. So to stick to one point, there that uh, Alex brought up and regarding the quarterback position is there is no doubt that Coach Harbaugh, that Coach Gaddis have a ton more information than we do regarding these quarterbacks. They have a ton of more information than even people who are covering them on a daily basis. And it's folks, it's not even close. So this is where you just have to trust the coaching. You have to trust the evaluators, the decision makers to go with the right guy. And until we see, you know, this is going to be a big test. This will by far be Cade McNamara's biggest test he's faced all season. Going to Madison, uh, first road game as a starter with a full crowd it's it's something he hasn't experienced before, so we'll see how he does. We'll know a lot more about that and about him moving forward. And uh, to give you more reason to keep your head up, to remain optimistic, even after that uh, not-so-crisp second half, to uh, steal a word from Alex, against Rutgers, SP Plus right now has Michigan rated number eight. So they moved down a couple slots. I believe it was six last week. 
with the offense rated 17th, defense rated 8th, special teams rated 9th. PFF still has the Wolverines as number 3rd overall with the 8th best um, overall offense, the 5th uh, best running offense. Uh, defensively, they rank 6th overall, 4th against the run, 7th when it comes to tackling. So, And then also ESPN's FPI has the Wolverines rated 7th a week after they were rated 6th as they dipped a little bit below uh, Florida. Uh, Clemson somehow is still ahead of them. So, you know, these numbers, as Alex said, it's a small sample, and, and it's a sport that's, um, while I believe in the numbers and I want to use them as a guide, uh, more often, pr preferably to back up what you think you're seeing or maybe make you question what you think you're seeing, not just to, you know, blindly believe in what they tell you, but it is a small sample size. Even even the 12-game season in itself is a small sample size. And within those 12 games, you have such a variance in terms of what uh, what does a performance against an Ohio State or Wisconsin at Penn State, how does that even compare to playing a MAC school or you know schools that play FCS schools? It really so much is apples to oranges it's it's unlike an nfl game to game rating basis but the numbers tell you michigan is performing at a very very high level um i want you to be optimistic i want you to live i want you to enjoy the moment go into this wisconsin game expecting to win because there's no reason to expect anything else We'll be back later in the week, folks, um, to talk about that game a little more in, in a little more detail. I am your host, Danny Mogo. This is Die Trying, hopefully emerging as one of your favorite Michigan podcasts. Go Blue!